here we are again, Fiona. I know, exciting day, part four of our Impact Report mini-series, no less. Yeah, and this week we have one of our County Deborah members joining us. I had a really lovely trip over to the northeast to meet her. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. So, welcome back, one and all, to A Slice of Bread and Butter, the podcast that spreads the word about the work of our affordable food charity, The Bread and Butter Thing. This is the place where Mark and I talk about how our members can save money on their shopping, feed their families well, and access all kinds of other support right in the heart of their communities. And where we meet and chat with our members and volunteer to hear about how using The Bread and Butter Thing makes a difference to their lives. And talking of members, today's guest star is Joan. Mm, yeah, and I don't want to give away too much before we hear her, but she has an amazing story and uses our food to make a real difference in her community. I've been there since it started, and I originally went because my daughter was made redundant. And I look after five elderly people and I make them food as well because we can't get carers in. So I stepped in as a volunteer carer and then it's continued because we still can't get carers in. But I've got to try and make substantial meals, not only just one meal. I try to do a meal for today and another one for tomorrow so I know they're going to be okay. Give me some examples of what you cook. We do like fresh veg soups. Anything that I've got, I make into casseroles. Anything that I get from the bread and butter team that I can't use in casseroles, I try and freeze. For instance, one week I got 26 onions and six green peppers and four lots of spring onions and a plant. Now, I couldn't find a recipe to make anything with, so immediately chopped all the onions up and I froze them. I froze the peppers so I can throw them in my bolognese sauce or casseroles or whatever. Are there lots of people doing what you do? Well, I started off helping the homeless and there was three of us used to go out to Newcastle every Saturday night with trolleys with a cup of soups, hot chocolate and we used to get the train through and we used to go around, give them hot gloves and everything because there's a massive amount of homeless there. So I've always done something voluntary. So then we diverted off into looking after the elderly. What makes you do what you do? Because I've worked all my life with elderly people. I know how they struggle. I've worked in care homes. I know when you get an elderly and you're at home, just a voice or a little visit gives them some hope that somebody's going to be there for them. And to take a meal is especially nice. I can go to somebody and they're very down. I give them a meal. We sit down and I'll pot around and tidy up while I'm feeding them. And you can see them lift, absolutely lift. Are there, are there many other people like you, Joe? I don't think there is. I've got a lot of friends who are caring, but I think because I'm on my own, I'm not putting anybody out at home so I can please myself what I do. I don't do it all the time. I do have some me time to go and see my friends and, and do what I want to do. But I make sure at least three times a week these people have a meal one way or another. So when you're not cooking up a storm and when you're not cooking for all your friends and neighbours, what do you do? I love walking. If I see a hill, a mountain... I'm up the top. I did Everest a few years ago for charity. I've done Machu Picchu, I've done Mount Vesuvius, Mount Nebo. 
I've done all the three peaks. I've done all the Lake District, coast to coast. If I'm not seeing anybody, if I'm not doing anything, I'll walk to Durham every day. I'll have a bit potter around, see if there's any homeless need a drink or or whatever, and make sure that they get something substantial as well. Because they're for the grace of God. Go I, you know. I've always done it all my life and I can't stop. I need to be seeing that people are looked after because there's so many out there not looked after, you know. Tell me about you then. What about your background? What's Joan's story? Well, I had a very poor upbringing, broken homes, broken family. And up until the age of 15, I don't think we had a permanent residence. So I know what it's like to be hungry. But from then, I always wanted to be a nurse, but finances wouldn't let me be a nurse. My mother wouldn't let me go to college. My first job was in a morgue. I used to wash dead bodies. I was 14-year-old when I started work. I used to wash dead bodies and put makeup on them. They all looked like Coco the Clown when I finished because I'd never even put a lipstick on myself. And I worked there for two years until I was old enough to go and be a cadet nurse. And I used to get two and six out of my pay, and that was in 1963. And then uh, I got married early. I went off and I did a degree in retinal screening. I went off to do teaching. I had three children. Then when the kids went off to university, and I then decided I was going to go and work in India with street kids. So on my holidays, I saved up all year, took me six weeks holiday, went off to India. We've got three and a half thousand kids in charities now. And I used to go out and find the kids in slums anywhere. And I've gone every year for the last 30 years, but the last three years I've not been able to go because of the pandemic. I've sold goats in India. I've gone to poor families and I've took two goats. And then when the goats mate, they give us another two goats and then we give them to another family. So I've done a little bit of everything, I think. And I still think there's more to do out there. You tell me about what you cook. You tell me how you tend to give that to your oldies. I know you'll look after a certain number, but is this a real problem? It is a nightmare for elderly people. It's a nightmare. There's no care of the elderly in the community. There's not. You know, so I don't know where we go from there. All I can say is I try and do my bit. I try and keep them at home, you know, and try and feed them, really, because if they're not getting the nutrients, then they go all to pot. Their mobility goes, they get infections. It's important that they get food. If I had the money, I'd open soup kitchens. But there again, folks like mine couldn't come out. People can't afford to cook. I mean, when I cook, I cook in bulk. You know, I've made 16 jars of marmalade. Some of my friends will help out and say, can you use this or can you use that? You know, another one with an allotment would give me this leaks and stuff like that. And I take it, but I can't take it for myself. It has to be for the people. You know, I do. I must admit, I've sort of made friends with a lot of people in the queue. One little boy calls me his nana. I don't know him from Madam, but he always looks for me in the queue and he'd say, Nana, can I come and stand beside you? And I go, Yeah. And he'd come right in with me all the way through. And then I have to wait for his mum coming through because his mum has two of the little ones. And he's lovely, you know, and I've met quite a few people. We're all in the same boat, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're all there for a different reason. Wow, what 
an amazing life story working in a morgue at 14 to climbing Everest to helping street kids in India. I sort of, <laughs> what have I been doing with my life? I sort of feel we might need a Hollywood producer to make Jones biopic. I know. And to devote so much energy and time to the people living in her community. First as a nurse, now as a volunteer carer and looking out for the elderly neighbours and people who are street homeless. This feels like an opportunity to just dig a little bit further into the community impact of the bread and butter thing. By that, I mean community rather than the individuals and their families. So in my top five stats a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that 96% of our members say that the bread and butter thing is good for their community. Delving a bit deeper than that, we also know that two thirds of our members are new users of their hubs, which is really helping to build community connections and those networks locally between those centres and their local residents. Yeah, we always choose our hubs and our locations really carefully. It's not just about making sure we're in the right town or village, but we need to be in the right building with those right communities too. So we try and partner up with existing projects, whether that's a community centre or a school or a church, so that they can also deepen their community connections too, right? So if we can help build the networks and friendships and collaborations locally, then we can help communities become stronger and make them make change happen locally. So Mark, what does that like really mean in reality? Like, can you give an example of that? <laughs> yeah, okay. So Westie and Warrington would be one. We were in a venue which had to close, but the local community really wanted us to stay as they could see how many people were benefiting. Yeah. So the volunteers came together as a new group and we moved to a new venue and they now manage a service out of a Westie community centre, which is growing as a result. They've run a warm hub and that's been busy and buzzing with new people every week. Even if people aren't shopping with us, they head down for a chat or a brew. They've even run a community cafe, a clothing drive. And also there's a volunteer there known locally as Mrs. Christmas, who, who's run an amazing cookery sessions using contents of our bags to demo what can be done with them and encourage people locally just to create affordable meals at home. And now they're also starting to bring in their own additional services to help support income maximization too. So helping people get the most from their benefits and find jobs, etc. But really this is all because of a group of local people wanted bread and butter to stay in their community because of the stability we bring and the people who come in and to use us form the foundations of something much, much bigger. Yeah, and then people like Joan or Mrs. Christmas, who is legendary, <laughs> um, are taking that even further by, you know, taking the impact out of our hubs and then direct to the people that she cares for too. Yeah, and, and that's more than food too. It's another part of the social isolation picture. We talked last week about how social isolation is a big issue amongst bread and butter members, especially with the cost of living crisis, leaving people with not enough disposable income to afford to travel socially or meet for a brew and a chat. So we recognise the significant importance that bread and butter plays in providing a social space for our members too. Over half of our members have met new people and made new friends by simply using bread and butter. And then by taking food out into the community, our volunteers are helping combat that further. But everyone does a really bespoke service. We spoke ages ago to Sandra at OL1, who was cooking for her neighbours, or Mrs Christmas at Westie, who's running her cooking and lunch sessions, or Joan, volunteering as a carer, taking meals out to elderly people, you know, who might find it hard to get out. And our volunteers and members are really taking things into their own hands and 
maximizing the benefit of bread and butter thing for their communities. You know, it feels like our hubs and our food are sort of sitting at the center of those networks that keep extending and growing and evolving organically. Yeah, I do know what you mean. And it's something that I know we talk internally a lot about, Fiona. So we do look at this and think about community resilience. So we talk about things beyond food and it starts with food, etc. But it's all about building stronger communities, providing that positive influence onto them. So Mark, inspired by the entirely indefatigable Joan, what's the highest hill you've ever climbed? <laughs> you see, you're doing it again. I, I... You big walker? <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful day. I feel as if I should get out there and like put some steps in. Yeah, I understand that. So the biggest one I've ever done is the old man of Coniston because I've never done the three peaks or anything like that. Uh, no, Jane introduced me to walking. It was never my thing. Fair enough. Well, I have been to Machu Picchu, but a bit of a mega drama because I managed to slide on a piece of wet rock and I fell over and I cut a big chunk <laughs> out of my head and I had to go down and have stitches in the local medical centre. So I'm quite literally scarred by that experience. I'm not normally that klutzy. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean that you've eaten guinea pig then? No, I have not eaten guinea pig. I would draw the line at eating a guinea pig. I'm not sure that's right. (laughs) I don't think people need to know anymore about how daft I am. People might like to know more about the bread and butter thing, what we get up to. So find us at DeemTBBT on Instagram and Twitter or on LinkedIn or online at breadandbutterthing.org. And if you have any feedback or thoughts on the podcast, you can get in touch with us by email at podcast at breadandbutterthing.org. You can ask just how daft is Fiona? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'll be very happy to answer. Finally, we are always open to new members at all of our hubs. So if you or someone you know would benefit from our affordable food scheme, you can find your nearest hub on the joiners pages at the website. And please do all the things that podcasts ask you to do. Like us, subscribe, leave us a review or share us with your friends and say really nice things about us. Are you going to say goodbye then? (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. Hang on. Mark. That's the end of our little mini-series on the Impact Report. But I do have a plan for some more podcasts, so we'll be back soon. Sounds great. See you soon then. Bye.